All right. Well, welcome to the village. I'm Eric, and this is the fourth week of our morning service. So if you don't know, the village has been around for 18 years, and we've always had a 5 p.m. service. Only problem with that 5 p.m. service, as you can see, it's a small room, and we took up space by putting couches in here. Um, but prior to those, that morning, this morning service, we had shoved in about, I don't know, 120 couches and chairs into this room, and there was about sometimes 150 people showing up in the evening. And so um, here's the deal about that. There was like 50 of them who were under 12. So the noise factor was so loud that none of us really knew each other anymore. All we knew was combat sports. So we thought that we would open some space. Actually, God told us to open some space for new people. So we went to a morning service. And you can see there's lots of open space, but this has also provided some open space in the evening. Um, so here we are in the morning service, and there's space, and villagers are not really used to being up in the morning, but here we all are. So I need the clicker. You got that for me? So we've been in this uh, series that first starts out with the gospel, and so the last three weeks, we've been talking about the gospel, and at the village, we say, like every other church, the gospel is the good news. But it's also the victories of Jesus. So it's the good news of Jesus and the victories of Jesus. But what's unique to the village and the way we talk about it is that we kind of expand it out and we say that the gospel is story, the gospel is identity, and the gospel is kingdom. So the gospel as story is, it's Jesus' story and not our story, right? And so it's his birth, his death, his resurrection. It's everything that he said and did. It's an invitation in that story for us to come say, no, not my story, but your story. I will embrace the cross. I will embrace the resurrection. I'm going to live in your story. But when we do that, we're given an identity, right? When you embrace Jesus, you're given an identity. And that identity first starts out as just being a daughter or a son of the king, of, of God. And this idea that we're new creations, that we're something new. Um, but I think the primary the, the, the main identity that we have is as a priest. And that kind of covers everything that we do. So as we enter into our marriages, our first identity is as a priest. When we go to work, the people around us, we are priests to them. Well, what do priests do? Priests bind up wounds. Priests point towards Jesus. So our calling as an identity in the gospel is to be priests to one another and to the world around us which leads us into the third part of the gospel that we talk about, which is kingdom. When you embrace the story, when you take hold of your identity, God gives you the Holy Spirit. And what he says is, when, he was, when Jesus was on earth, he said, where I am, the kingdom of God is. Well, now that you have the Spirit of God, wherever you are, the kingdom is. So you manifest the kingdom wherever you are. So, at the village, we say the gospel is story, identity, and kingdom. That was the first part of this series. The second part of this series is to really just go over the values of the village, to tell you what we value as a community. And so we have six values. We value truth. We value community. We value authenticity and accessibility, the disciplines, and creativity. I know that's a mouthful, but those are kind of the way that we understand 
who we are and kind of how we understand the decisions we're going to make, the way we operate on a Sunday morning and Sunday evening, the way we run all those groups you heard about. Everything that we do is filtered through those values. But all of those values hang under the one main value, which is truth. And so my job in the next 25 minutes is to talk about truth. So I want to start with a few um, disclaimers. I am not in 25 minutes going to cover the philosophical, social, political, psychological understanding of truth or theological understanding of truth for that matter. I'm just going to hopefully give you some things to think about and give you a frame of reference to understand kind of how the village operates, the way we understand thinking about what is true. So when you think about truth in its basic kind of set, um, we usually think about it in very simple ways. There is truth or there's lies. There are facts, right? I, I think in the reality of here, we can, and we'll talk a lot about reality, at least most of us can agree that I have five fingers. So if I went around telling everybody I had two fingers, that would be a lie, right? I'm just talking about a reality that doesn't exist. And it's one that we can probably all agree in. But that's not what I really want to talk about Because when we talk about truth, what I want to talk about is that thing that you feel inside of you where you're sure that your reality is actually true. Like you think that this is what is. Okay? So so let me give you an illustration. I don't normally do this, but I have a little whiteboard here and I'm going to attempt to draw. Um, Hopefully we'll find a marker that works. All right, so I'm going to draw this uh, circle here. I might color it in. That's black, if you didn't know. Okay, here's my little person. I'm not an artist. My daughter is. And my wife is. Okay, there you go. So, we have two people on either side of what we could call a ball or a circle. Now, if you were to ask this person right here, what color is the ball or the circle, they would tell you black, right? For them, what they feel inside to be true is that this is black, right? Now, if you were to ask the other person on the other side of the ball, what color is the ball, they would say the ball is white, right? So right here in this simple little illustration, I've shown you what's completely wrong or when when marriages go wrong, when friendships go wrong, it's usually this. It's just an argument over the ball and what color it is, right? When one person believes that their reality and their truth is it, and it completely contradicts the person that they're talking to, right? So that's, that's great. I mean, this is often, you know, so each one of these people have a reality that they believe is true. So we can add a third reality, you. Now you're looking at these people who are arguing over the ball, who one says it's black, one says it's white, and you all look at it and you're like, well, you guys are silly. It's half white and half black because you guys think you're really wise and have good perspective, and your reality is better than their reality, right? So this is the culture that we live in, right? And what happens when we begin to all talk about what reality is and what is true, and we all disagree, the foundations of things begin to erode. Now, I'm not even talking about the foundations of, let's say, you know, Christianity. I'm just talking about foundations in general. What happens is, is when this happens, none of us know what to do. So we lose our way. 
Like we feel like, I mean, I don't know, our culture, just go out, listen to the music, listen to everything, think about what goes on in your own head. You don't feel like you know what the heck you're supposed to do, right? Because there are so many realities in which could be true in so many different levels of life, right? The other thing that happens, though, when foundations are eroded because we can't conclude that there is one truth or one reality, is that all of us end up kind of back in that early moment of history when God speaks to Adam and Eve after they've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? They have a fear and a shame that they're experiencing. When the foundations of truth are eroded, when reality is kind of out for us to sort of figure out and choose what we think it is, we are all kind of caught up in anxiety and fear, right? And we become very myopic, very inwardly um, looking. Now, Keith read to us uh, a moment in Jesus' life that I'd like to reread for us in John chapter um, 18. The scene here is Jesus has been arrested, and he's already been questioned by uh, all of the high priests and all that kind of stuff, and he has now been ushered into Pilate, and Pilate comes back in to try to figure out what he's going to do with them. We'll pick it up here again. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about it or about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this into the world, well, I just, in fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. So Jesus comes onto the scene, and Jesus says, I am the one who tells you what's true, and anyone who hears me and is on the side of truth believes it. So if you think about this illustration here, we could show that Jesus, I know a lot of you can't see that over here, but anyway, uh, here's Jesus. I'll give him some hair um, and some feet. Presents a whole nother perspective. So we have a reality here. We have a reality here. We have a reality here. And now Jesus says, okay, I have a different reality. I'm the one who actually testifies to the truth. And so he in other places, says he's the light. And so he's going to shine the light on the reality. So I wanted, we're just going to kind of work our way backwards in the Gospel of John. So we're going to go to John 14. Right before Jesus is to head off and into this process of dying, he's trying to comfort his disciples. And his disciples, so he tells his disciples, I'm going somewhere, and you can't follow me. And Thomas innocently asks, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me. So with that statement, what Jesus is saying is, guess what, everybody? And I'll kind of explain how he does this. The ball is neither black nor white. The ball is actually red. The ball is actually red. My reality is the real reality, and the ball is red. Now, this phrase, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, well, the Torah, which is the Old Testament for the most part, is the, is the Jewish people's book. You know what they called it? The way, the truth, and the life. And so what Jesus was saying is, you, for all this time, have been looking to this scripture and saying, this is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to shift things, because that's been your reality for right now. I'm going to shift things, and I'm going to tell you, no, 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 I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm, I'm the Torah. I'm everything, okay? So I want to I break that down just a little bit for you. Because he's inviting, what he's inviting his disciples, and by his disciples inviting us, is into a different reality. So the first thing he says is he says he's the way. Psalm 27, 11 says, Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. The whole, I just picked one verse, the whole Old Testament, in particular the Psalms and the Proverbs, are all about asking Jesus to teach the way. Asking God to teach them the way. The way you would learn the way, is you, if you read enough of Proverbs, is to study the Word, to study the Torah. That's how you find out what the way is. Now, if you're, maybe you're not like me, but I am directionally challenged. Okay? In fact, my wife is directionally challenged, and we've passed this on to my daughter. And now has her driver's license. When, you know, we started driving, like many of you, before Google Maps, right? <laughs> and I got lost a lot more. Because people would say, you know, you drive out here and you turn here. No. Like, I can bear, it took me forever to just say, oh, the mountains are north. Where's north? The, the mountains, right? The mountains are north. I'm just directly challenged. I get lost. Well, Well, that's, what Jesus is saying is like, okay, I know you're directionally challenged, but how about if I got in the car with you, Eric, and told you how to get there? By, so what, when, what Jesus is saying is you've had the roadmap laid out for you, but now I'm going to take your hand. I'm the way. I'm going to take your hand, and I'm going to show you how to get there. Like, what he's saying is for one, at one point in time, your relationship with me came through these scriptures, now, not only do they come through the scriptures, they come through an actual personal relationship with me, an intimacy with the God of the universe. Okay? So he's saying, I'm the way. And he continues, he says, I'm the truth. Teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. Psalm 86, 11. Sometimes it says faithfulness instead of truth. When the Old Testament, or when Jesus is talking about truth, he's talking about two things. One, he's actually talking about the standard of righteousness, okay? Or the standard of goodness, or the standard of joy. He's talking about the standard of all things. So when he says, I am the truth, he's saying, I am the standard of righteousness. But the other thing that he's saying in context of that is that he is the standard for reality, okay? So I'm going to lead you on the way, to reality, is what he's saying. They're like, we don't know where you're going. Well, I'm actually preparing you reality. 
the real real. Okay? And then the lamp. He says, for, or the life. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life. Now, if you think about these, out of Proverbs 6.23, each one of these things are in, in some ways difficult to follow. Right? Okay. The commands of God is a light unto us, of which I fail. The teaching is a light, which I don't listen to. Correction and instruction only work so much, but they usually fail. Right? They do not remove my anxiety, and they do not remove my fear, and they do not remove my shame. They only hold it at bay. Right? And so what Jesus is saying is, I am the way, the truth, and the removal of shame and fear. Because no longer do you, yes, you need to do all of these things, but these things are not the thing that are going to make you who you are. They're not the thing that are going to remove the shame or the thing that's going to remove the fear. No, I'm the one who's going to do that. These things are then helpful in order to follow me, but they're not the thing that will give you identity. So, what Jesus is saying is, all right, you guys are arguing over reality right here, and this is your world of arguing over reality. But for me, he's saying, this is the true reality, it's red, and what you need to do is you're going to have to give up your reality. So the question is, how do you and I move from what we think is true to something that seems very disruptive because red is so different than black, right? The reality of God is disruptive. It, it, it shakes us up. So there, there's a, a, a discipline in philosophy called the pragmatics. And what they say is that if you believe something, the way to show you believe it or to engage your emotions is to actually practice it. Because they say whatever you do is what you actually believe, not necessarily how you feel in the heart. So how do you and I get to this place? How do we get to the place where our reality lines up with God's reality? Well, I'd like to we'll continue to walk backwards in the Gospel of John. John chapter 4. Jesus has met a woman at a well. There's a long theological complex conversation she has with him. And then Jesus answers her and kind of explains to her what worship actually is. And we're going to talk about worship in a second. Jesus declares, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, so how do you and I move from this reality to that reality. Well, it's connected to worship. Worship is wherever you arrange your life. Whatever you arrange your life around, that's what you worship. Okay? So for the Jews, they arranged their life around Jerusalem and the temple. That's where the truth is. There was order, there was ways of worshiping, there were sacrifices, there are things to do. That's the truth. 
right? They organized themselves around that. The Samaritans were like, no, no, we are the Pentecostals of the, you know, ancient times. Like, like we want a spiritual, deep, intimate experience. So we go on the mountain. There's a lot of other reasons why they did it. But, right, you've heard of mountaintop experiences. They worship on the mountain. They worship in spirit. There's an internal experience, right? Jesus is saying there's a time coming, and it is now, when people are no longer going to go to Jerusalem to see the truth or to worship on the mountain, but no, they're going to arrange themselves around me. And when you arrange your life around Jesus, his reality begins to transform things. So, so how do we go about doing that? How do we rearrange our life? Well, I would argue that you and I have to repent. The very first words that Jesus offers us in the Gospel of Mark is that we should repent and believe because the kingdom of God is here. He says the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. Repentance is a complete turning around from what direction you're going. So literally it's like if you're going this way, to repent of this direction, you have to go this way. So if you think about this analogy here, what this person has to do in order to agree with Jesus is they actually have to repent of the very thing that in their soul they feel to be true. It's very, psychologists use this word cognitively dissonant. It, It feels dissonant. But in order to grab hold of God's reality, which promises a couple things. It promises a way. It promises a standard of truth, of righteousness, of joy, of goodness. And it promises life. Life is not having to experience shame and anxiety. So how does that process happen with you and I? Let me just tell you a story instead of reading it for you. Like As we talk about how uh, Jesus works with us, in our struggles, when we're talking about the gospel, one of the things we say is that we come to Jesus and we ask questions, like, how am I supposed to deal with this thing? And Jesus tells us stories. He doesn't say, here's A, B, and C. This is how you do it. So how do you and I embrace Jesus' reality? I think Jesus begins by telling us a story, and that story is about his birth. So let me tell it to you. About two years after Jesus was born... These guys came who were called the Magi. They were magicians. They came from Babylon. Probably, if you know anything about your Old Testament, they were in the line of Daniel. Daniel was a a captive in Babylon. He raised high up into the ranks, and he was probably a Magi at some level. So they found Jesus. They came to worship him. They were looking for him. They followed a star. They were looking for a king. And so they show up, to Herod, who happens to be the king, which this seems kind of like taking some guts, and they say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews who was born. Like, we saw a star, we're here. And Herod's like, um, no, I haven't heard of that. There isn't any kings. What are you talking about? Well, all of his, you know, rabbis and advisors are like, well, maybe, yeah, looks like, you know, if we read Isaiah correctly, there could be somebody here who's, you know, the king of the Jews. Herod's like, okay, well, when you go find him, Come back and tell me, and I'll worship him too. So the Magi do find Jesus, and they worship Jesus. Right? They arranged their life around him. They traveled really far. They gave him gifts. They worshiped him. It says in the text 
that Herod was disturbed. Like he was disturbed. Here's what I would argue. If you want your reality to be changed, then you have to come somewhere to worship. You have to come with God's people to worship. You have to have scripture read over you. You have to have things sung over you. You have to have people push into your life and point you towards Jesus. Right? You have to have that experience. But if you decide to worship or go be around people who worship, your life will be disturbed. It'll be disrupted. And the, if you follow this story, the Magi end up having a dream. This is in Matthew 3, if you want to read the story. But they have a dream and they don't go back to Herod. They escape. Their life is disrupted. Immediately after that, Joseph gets a dream because Herod's going to kill all the little babies two and under. And his life is disrupted and he goes to Egypt. And then he gets another dream that he has to come back and not to go to his hometown but to Nazareth because some prophecy needs to be fulfilled. Right? When you and I decide to live in God's reality, in the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, what happens is you enter into an actual relationship with Jesus and disruption happens to your life. Because you know what? God shows up. He shows up in your life. He starts doing things in your life because you're around God's people, because you're worshiping, because you've surrounded yourself around Jesus. So, to bring us back to the beginning, and then I'll open it up for some questions. Um, if you don't hear anything tonight, what I'd like you to hear is simply that you're probably living, staring at the ball, thinking that somehow you know what's true. And you also probably have some awareness because you hear that Jesus is up here telling you it's red. But you don't like that. At some level, all of us, I, I will honestly confess up here, I'm, there are parts of my life where I'm like, no, the ball's black. And Jesus is like, no, it's red. No, it's black. It's black. Right? Because to change that, to repent, is to disrupt my life. To change the way I think, the way I feel, the way I'm experiencing things, to behave differently. Right? So if you don't hear anything, hear the call to repent, to turn. Because there's an invitation from Jesus uh, to live in what is the standard of right and the standard of good and the standard of joy and in the truth. So, at the village, our top value is the truth because everything, you can't, community does not work unless we understand that the only real reality is Jesus' reality, right? And so we kind of work our way through those things and that's kind of how our church operates. I want to open it up for questions, thoughts. I have actually purposely left plenty of time for us to discuss this if you want to does anybody have any questions thoughts things they'd like to add things they'd like to have re-explained yes right over here nope we need sound person <laughs> that's all right Can you talk about figuring out what the red is together? Because <laughs> it doesn't always feel clear. It doesn't always seem clear. Can you kind of help me? Like just the gray area of what truth is. Like there's the cross, for sure. 
And right. I don't know, it just seems like they're... So this mess here, even in the body of Christ, feels confusing as to what, what the truth mm-hmm. and what God's reality is. Um, well, gosh, that's, that's not an easy one to answer, but the way I would say is that first off, when we come and we're trying to figure that out, like I think it, 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 well, it ends up in two ways. One, are we just trying to figure out what's true in the sense of we're talking about some theological ideas? Like is God, you know, what, how does predestination work out with the sovereignty of God? Are we talking about that? Or are we talking about relational truth and what is true and what God is calling us to in holiness? Right? to walk together. Because I would say the best way for us in this one and this one is to walk as priests together. So always thinking, you know, that through Scripture God has called us to be priests to one another and therefore as we're dealing with things that are difficult theologically or if we're dealing with things that are difficult relationally that we're operating as priests. What, how would a priest interact that way? Um, I know that was a really political answer, maybe. I don't know. But that's what I'd say. Kevin. Well, I just really appreciate this uh, illustration because I think it identifies well for me that, you know, in the world there's people who tend to see things as black and white and are juxtaposed in that. And then there's clever people who come in and are postmodern and say, wait a minute, guys, like, look, it's, it's both. Can it be a both and? Like, let's all get along. And then that's confusing because now you've got multiple parties with multiple ways of thinking. And then Jesus enters in, and it's a truth that's unlike any other truth that we can even conjure up. And it's a truth that's more simple, and it's a lot less weighty, I think, to have to try to figure out all the sides of the argument and figure out where you come down on it and what your viewpoint is like the red comes in and and you can just rest in that red and i think that's um a really powerful illustration thanks cool anybody else Uh, questions thoughts comments i had uh when you talked about the car yeah. And driving and like he's giving you directions. And I think sometimes like I know conceptually that it's red. Like I know conceptually like where the place I'm going is like, oh, it's it's near Skyline and Campbell. But I don't actually know where it is and how to get there. And Jesus is telling me where to go. And so every every like turn, like I, I don't know that the specific turns that I have to take to get there. So every turn I'm I'm going okay where's the next one what's what's next what's the and there's like an anxiety that I feel because I I think I know where I'm going and I it's hard for me to like let go and say okay like I'm just going to let you tell me where to turn and it's going to be okay. Uh, I like that picture. That's good. Anybody else questions? We got We got 5 more minutes. Thoughts, questions. Could you um, be more specific or or maybe more broad on 
w- how we are priests to one another. I get it that we love one another and minister to one another, but can you give me more on that? Sure, sure. Um, so in uh, Peter, he tells us that we're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Um, and so he's saying that in a very Jewish sense. And what the Jewish people did, or the Jewish priests, were, they, they were between God and man, right? In the sense that they ministered. So when, when man was broken, they came before God with a sacrifice to, to absolve. But now because we have Christ, so Luther talked about this, we become little Christs. So being a priest is I come to Kevin and I can hear his sins, he can confess them, and I can say you're forgiven in Christ. That's part of being a priest. But I also think priests are the people who listen to the pain of people, right? And so I think about in marriage, when I think about my wife, like if my operation is I'm her priest, then I'm thinking, well, what, what's going on here? What's her struggle? How do I bind up whatever she's wrestling with? How do I celebrate what is good? Because also in First Peter, he talks about um, that we, the way that we do this is that we proclaim how we moved out of the darkness and into the glorious light. So part of being a priest is looking also at Kevin and saying, look what God has done. Let's praise him together. So it's like recentering one another on Jesus. So that's would probably be how I would explain being a priest. Uh, any other questions? Thoughts? No, we can keep going. Sorry, just on the part about you, the illustration of you telling Kevin his sins are forgiven, you don't need to be a mediator like the Catholics believe. No. No, I don't need to be a mediator. Um, but James tells us that uh, we have the power to proclaim that over one another so we're proclaiming what has happened already but part of being a priest like part of being a priest of one another is reminding each other what reality is of what the truth is so yeah that would be set i think anybody else you keep moving your hair emily i don't know you can't make up your mind if you have something to say or not. All right, back here Jill does. So the part that is the most challenging is thinking, like, I'm blinded to some of these things. Right. Like, I might think I'm seeing it red, but I'm, or, or black, I'm seeing it white, and I'm sure it's white, and I don't even know that I should see it as red. Right. And I don't want to be that way, but... So how do we m- keep moving towards the red? I mean, I know that, okay, we're in the word, we're in community. Like, is that what you would say? Um, well, I would say the, if we're only in the word but not in community, not hard. Happening. Because right. you don't have anybody kind of, if we're only in community but never in the word, hard. Right? I, I think these things are have to be merged together. But then there's also the sense of when you do that, you're, you're open to the Holy Spirit and, and that change. And to know that like, part of worshiping and, and transformation is disruption. So when you're starting to feel uneasy about the, where you're at, maybe you're like, okay, God's disrupting me. What, what reality is he offering? Like, What's going on? Like Being willing to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. So you're saying we're all on this journey towards red. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. Yes, we're all on the journey towards red. <laughs> 
and and we're 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 in process. We're all in process. Yes. Towards towards the red. Yes. Thank you. We're all in process towards the red. Maybe another paradigm is that what Kevin said is that I think of seeing things as red is very disruptive, but if I would believe and trust God, know that it's really restful, that yes. would help me instead of yes. being threatened by the lie of the devil that it's all going to yes. disrupt you and ruin your life. Yes. Rosie would like me to share that it sounds like the Matrix and Neo. It does sound like Matrix and Neo, and I try not to talk too much about the Matrix because everybody gives me a hard time about it. But thank you, Rosie. Yes. It also kind of sounds like what we've been talking about at home a lot, being in this world but not of this world. Yes. And I'm thinking, as believers, it's really easy to be about getting it right yes. and being a good person, that that's the spirit of the age that tries to invade as religious or Christian, but the red is, I don't necessarily know what's right. I don't have to be the one who wins the argument. Right. I don't have to know he knows, and he's going to help me figure it out, and I don't have to be good. He's good, and I'm going to choose good choices because I love him, but right. he's got me. Amen. Yes. I, I think, like, obviously trying to cover tr truth in 30 minutes is hard, um, but what I would argue here is that maybe what's coming out is that the reality that Jesus offers is a reality of rest, right? That's what he offers us, to put our burdens down. The burden of trying to make sure black is black and the person who thinks it's white believes it's black. Like that burden is one of those burdens. Um, that this is a place of rest. That Jesus, it's disruptive in moving in that direction, but it is a place of rest. So let's pray, and uh, we'll continue worshiping God together. Jesus, thank you so much for this community and for their wisdom and things that they have to bring to bear on the truth. Lord, I ask uh, as we sing and as we um, take communion together and as we eat together that you would bless our words in your holy name. Amen.